Well, amen, amen. It is so good to be with you again tonight and to see you. Seth, it's been just a delight to get to know you. And in spite of your in-laws, you're an amazing man. And we love you and appreciate you. It'd be appropriate if you expressed your appreciation to Seth. Would you do that? I love that guy. Christy and I had the opportunity to have lunch with Seth today. We're a part of Team Syracuse now. We signed up. We just said, man, sign us up. Let's go on this thing. And if any of you want to get with it, I got a few friends back home. I got to tell, hey, jump on Team Syracuse. Don't you wish, don't you wish you would have bought Apple stock when it was first listed? Oh my goodness. You'd be on easy street if you would have done that. Well, let me tell you, we got some spiritual Apple stock going and it's the Apple of life. And I'm just excited about what these guys are doing. And I just sense in my spot in life, I can kind of pay it forward to the next generation and they get an opportunity. So I'm excited. Seth, it was great to be able to fellowship with you and those cheese curds were incredible. So thank you so much. It's great. And then to be with Dennis and Jody, just spend time with them. You would have had a ball if you could be with us after the services. Because we laughed till we just about threw up. I mean, it was great just to be able to laugh and reminisce and talk about the old times together. Love you guys. It's just been so exciting how God's worked in your lives. And uh, that's exciting. Now, I'll let you in on something. During the worship part, my wife and I sat in the best seats in the house. The rest of you, I apologize. You didn't sit in the best seat because we sat in the best seats. Because where I sat, I could hear the kids sing. I could hear the kids sing. I just loved it. I looked over. I don't know who they. I don't know who these kids are, but I saw those three boys up here in the front. Man, I don't know if they knew the songs or not, but they were really there. And I thought to myself, "Isn't that exciting?" You see, that's not the church of tomorrow. That's the church of today, and that's where it's one. And I just got all excited. I looked at those guys. I said, "You know, one of those guys may end up being the pastor of this church someday." And he'll out-preach you and out-preach me. And uh, I say, you know what? God can do some amazing things. So don't forget that. Thinking about kids, kids are just absolutely incredible. They are amazing. I, um, I found something that just drove me crazy. I just thought this was crazy. So when you talk to kids, they always have a way of just being blunt and direct with you. You know, I asked a kid one time, I said, what advice would you give me about life? He looked at me and said, brush your teeth. And I thought, well, I mean, suppose that's important. His mother got it home to him. But the kids were asked crazy, crazy questions. Listen to this one. Uh, um, Kristen, age 10, was asked, how do you decide who to marry? And here was her response. She said, no one person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all the way before, and you kind of find out later who you're stuck with. (laughs) Pretty good. That's pretty good. Okay, here's one that's interesting. This is Derek. He's eight years old. And Derek was asked, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? And Derek says, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. I thought, that's pretty good. This is, this is good. Uh, this would be Martin. He's 10 years old. And Martin was asked, what do most people do on a date? Thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. Martin said, on the first date, they just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go on a second date. <laughs> but, but my all-time favorite, the one I love the most in all those, it's Ricky. Ricky's got a little you know, pizzazz in him. And Ricky was asked to give marriage advice. They asked Ricky, Ricky, what would you, what would, how would you make a marriage work? 
Ricky, if you're married and you got to make a marriage work, how would you do it? And Ricky said, tell your wife she looks pretty, even if she looks like a dump truck. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help us. Help us, help us, help us. Well, I'm excited tonight because I'm going to take the opportunity tonight to talk to you about my all-time favorite my all-time favorite Bible story. I want you to grab your Bibles tonight. And I want to take you to the book of Mark, chapter 2. The book of Mark, chapter 2. And I'm going to talk to you tonight about the Bible story that I like the most. Now, if we were sitting around the table, and I love doing table work. That's what's so much fun. I would ask you, what's your favorite all-time Bible story? Do any of you have one that you say, that's just my all-time favorite. I love it. Anybody have one you like? Do you read the Bible? Well, um, uh, I I have this one. And mine is in Mark chapter 2. Because as a kid who caused lots of problems and as an adult who likes to kind of color outside the lines sometimes, this is a Bible story about coloring outside the lines. Now, let me just tell you right as I take off tonight and start. Tonight, I'm going to be able to share with you the deepest passion of my heart. Just the deepest passion of my heart. I have spent my life, I have spent every moment of my life with a prayer to see healthy pastors build healthy churches. That's what I'm all about. I just love the church. I love the local church. I think God designed the local church to be his body to impact the world in which it's planted. Now, growing up as the son of a district superintendent, I saw a lot of unhealthy churches. I saw a lot of people that, well, praise the Lord, the work wasn't done yet in them. And I saw churches fight and bicker and split and divide over some of the silliest things. I've watched churches paralyze over the color of carpet. And they say, what in the world? The world is lost, dying, going to hell, and you're worried about what? And, and I've seen people just get bent out of shape over the silliest of stuff. So I made a commitment to the Lord that I would spend my life doing everything I could to watch the body of Christ be the bride of Christ. Now, Christy and I have done a few weddings in our lifetime. She coordinated weddings for a lot of years. I One stretch, I did 11 weddings in 10 weeks. I mean, we just kept marrying them off. And, and, and it's interesting when you look at a bride on her wedding day. Boy, it's as good as it gets. I tell a guy on the platform, take a good look at her because he'd never look this good again. I mean, this is about as good as it gets. And I wonder in the church sometimes how the bride of Christ is looking. I think sometimes not real good. And, and, and Jesus says, I want my bride to be about my work doing my thing. Now, I'm excited. And I just want to compliment you. You people are unreal. You have been so faithful. I, I'm a pastor. I know how this thing works. And, and the fact that you've been here night after night after night. I just, I kind of want to stand and give you a standing ovation. Thank you. Because tonight I think who I'm talking to are the core. I'm talking to the nuts and bolts of Sterling First Church of the Nazarene tonight. So would you allow me the privilege to share my passion and my dream of what God can do when the Spirit of God gets a hold of the Bride of Christ and says the Bride of Christ, let's be about the Father's business. Amen? Amen. That was poor. Amen? Amen? You're doing better. I'll let you out on time. Okay, here we go. Now, Mark chapter 2. I've got to read this to you because this is just an all-time classic. Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. Listen to this. 
A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard he'd come home. I thought he was Jesus of Nazareth. What's this home in Capernaum? Well, as Jesus went about his ministry, he left Nazareth and he kind of set up the home shop in Capernaum. It's an amazing town. In fact, in the 1940s, they were able to do archaeological work. And if you go to Capernaum, now you can see where they, oh, this might have been Peter's mother's house. This might have been where the temple was. It's just amazing. It blew me away when I was there in the early 80s and saw it for the first time. Capernaum is on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. So if this is the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum is right up there at the top. And it said, Jesus came home to Capernaum. Now, if you go into chapter one, his life has just been busier than busy. And he's running all the time to find a solitary place. He, everywhere he goes, you know, heal my mother, heal my father. Can you do this miracle? And Jesus is fully human, fully divine. And he says, I got, I got to, I, I got to just go home. Okay. Watch this now. So he goes home in verse two. What happened? So many gathered there, there was no room left, not even outside the door. This is crazy. He goes home, he's going to try to get a little more rest, and all of a sudden the people are just all around him. They're just all around him. He preached the word to them. And some men came to him, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Now that's pretty significant. Four. One, two, three, four of them. Grab a hold of that. Don't forget that. Since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Now, this one will mess your theology up. When Jesus saw their faith, I don't know if I understand that. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now, he's not healed yet. He's not healed. He, he just has his sins forgiven. There's all this mess. We're going to talk about it in just a second. There's all this mess of tile because they had these tile type roofs. It wasn't like asphalt shingles and, and wood, you know, trusses and construction. It was, it was, it was these, these tiles that they had on the roof. If you go there, you see these tiles. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. People get all upset at him. And they say, you can't do that. How can you forgive sins? And they accused him of blaspheming. And they accused him of having a false spirit in him. And then in verse 10, he says, but you know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. <laughs> and he got up, took his mat, walked in full view of all of them. Because There's a crowd there, right? And when he did it, everyone praised God and said, and I love it, we have never seen anything like this before. This is unreal. Now, I really believe that what you have here is a picture of what God wants us to be. So come with me on this journey, okay? Let's come with me. Let, let's, let's jump into this story. And what I'm going to do, we'll mark them off. We'll move through them real fast. Don't get worried about time. I'll get through them quickly. Number one, the first thing you're going to see in this story is it's going to be all about passion. It's all about passion. Now, I want you to think about the four men. Think about the four men. It's, this is all about the passion. It starts with passion. Now, when you're going to see this, their bottom line is they've got to get this guy to Jesus. 
They've got to get him to Jesus. If they get this paralytic to Jesus, his life is going to be changed. And so they're filled full of passion that he must meet Jesus. Now, as we work together in this thing here at Sterling First, and and we're going to do this thing, what would happen if we would be so passionate about the fact that if people meet Jesus, if people meet Jesus, it's going to be absolutely incredible. If they meet Jesus, that's their hope. And we're going to do all this stuff with one goal in mind, and that is people need to meet Jesus. Seth, I was thinking about this the other day when you talked about living in Iowa right now. Uh, I was speaking in Newton, Iowa. I'll never forget it. I was in Newton, Iowa. I was working with a group of pastors, and I had time between sessions. And I was so far behind in my oil change, I went down to the, one of those quick lube places and said, just get her in and get her done. Well, when I walked inside, I met a couple... It was unreal. I, the moment I put my eyes on them, I knew they were Iowa Hawkeye football fans. Oh, my goodness. They had the jacket, the shirts, the hats, and everything. And so I decided to talk to them. I discovered that they, their life centered around one thing, and that was Iowa Hawkeye football. Now, being from Nebraska, that hurt my feelings. You know, I'm going to cry a little bit about it. And everything they talked about for the next 30 minutes was Iowa Hawkeye football. They talked about Kennick Stadium. They talked about the hospital. They talked about waving, you know, the players looking up the hospital and waving if they've ever seen an Iowa game. They went back to fourth, forced Evashevsky in the 1960s as their coach. I sat there thinking, you people need to get a life. I mean, there's more to life than Iowa Hawkeye football. So what are you passionate about? What is it that you just, what's your passion? You see, here's what's happened. I think I may have started to lose my passion to see lost people meet Jesus. When I go somewhere and see someone, do I look at them and say, I wonder, I wonder, does something hit my soul and heart that they've got to see Jesus? Because if they don't know Jesus, the Bible says there is no hope. They're done. It's over. And these four people are just filled full of passion that we've got to get this man to Jesus. Now, I believe with all my heart that you as a core team right here could experience a baptism of the Spirit of God that says, for some reason, God planted this thing in this town, in this city. Why? Because we are passionate about one thing. We're passionate to see people just meet Jesus as Lord and Savior. We're passionate to see people bend the knee. We're passionate to see people pray a prayer. We're passionate to see lives change. We're passionate to see marriage mended. We're passionate. We are passionate to see someone get baptized and have a living faith that God has changed my life and hear that testimony. My paycheck in what I do is seeing changed lives. If I didn't see changed lives, I'd quit doing what I did because it's not all that much fun at times. It never happens in Illinois, but in Indiana, people get a little opinionated at times. And they get upset about stuff. And they're mad about this. Service went too long, didn't sing the right song. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see, sometimes in the body of Christ, he says, I just want to baptize you with passion for lost people. Driving home from church on a Wednesday night, I left the church going down County Road 7 to go back to my house. And as I'm going down County Road 7 at night, I notice something is wrong. I see a car pulled overhead. I look over. There's a young man laying there. He'd gotten hit by a vehicle. He was on a motorcycle, turned, a vehicle hit him, and he's laying there. And I'm seeing him 
is just terribly graphic as I describe him to you. And I went over and I just grabbed him. I said to someone, call an ambulance, call it. And to make a long story short, they called an ambulance. They got a helicopter in as fast as they could. And I held that young man. I thought, all I can do is just pray. I was passionate about seeing the fact that he would not die in my arms. I wondered, am I doing the right thing? I mean, where, where is he at? And I just, I, just, I, just, I just prayed. What would happen if we had that passion for people around us? What would happen if we had that passion for the lost? Christy and I were in Haiti in the early 80s. Our vehicle broke down out in the middle of nowhere. It was the craziest thing. We were riding in this vehicle and the, the, the chassis was pointed one way and it had come apart from the body and the body was pointed another way. It was the craziest thing. They pulled over the side of the road and they said, we got to do something. We got to walk for help. Another man and I take off walking. And as I'm walking through Haiti, I feel the oppression around me. I feel the heaviness of the moment. And I find myself filled full of a burden for lost people. I go back home to where I pastor and I found myself driving down a road and I didn't feel that much of a burden. Now why was it? In the jungles of Haiti, I felt a burden for lost. But in the town in which I lived, I just drive by those houses. I, you know, I, I don't, they are what they are. and God will do with them what he's going to do. God began to break my heart. To see people meet Jesus. Do we really believe that lost people are going to spend eternity in hell? I don't think we do. I really don't think we believe it. We really don't give that much of a care. You see in the church we focus on three things sometimes in the body of Christ. And I do this. We focus on noise, activities. Let's have more activities. We focus on nickels. Well as long as the bills are paid. As long as the bills are... And we focus on numbers. Well, let's have a few more. We'll feel better. If we can just fill up all the chairs in the church, we'll feel better. Man called me one time on a Sunday night. You know him well. We talked about him the other night. He called me on a Sunday night and said, Pastor, it's one of the happiest days of my life. Actually, it was a Monday he called me. I said, why is it the happiest day in your life? He said, I went down to the coffee shop this morning. We had more in church than the Methodists had. I didn't realize this was a game. I didn't realize that's the score. So, so what we see is it starts with passion, passion and passion is not something you whip up in the flesh. It's something that the Holy Spirit puts in your heart. Oh God, give us a passion for lost people. Look at the second one. The second one you're going to see is the concept that these men, these four had persistence. They're going to get this guy to Jesus one way or another. Now this is what I like because they broke the rules. They broke the rules persistence, persistence. Now, every time we're going to go about our call, we have to learn what it is that there are going to be obstacles. We're going to face obstacles as we do this. It's going to be hard. So, so the obstacles they faced were absolutely incredible obstacles. You, you, need, you need to come with me to Capernaum because the way the houses are laid out and the way the town is built, this is a massive obstacle. It's an obstacle... Because they can't go through the door, the windows because the houses are basically adjacent to each other. People are packed all around and they face obstacles. But they're persistent. They're persistent. They're going to have to work hard. Let me, just, let me just give you the obstacles. If I'm one of these four and I'm going to get this man to Jesus, I'm going to first of all understand that this is going to take a lot of work. How, how much did this paralytic weigh? 
I don't know. He could have been 275 pounds. How are we going to hoist him up? This is not going to be easy. How tall and strong were the men that got him to Jesus? I don't know. They could have been guys that hadn't had their Wheaties for breakfast. I don't know. I have no idea about this. Do you ever think about this? Who were these guys? What were they like? How big was the paralytic? He couldn't help them at all because he's a paralytic. He couldn't do much to get there. Huh. Work. Hard work. Obstacle number two, fear. Fear. What if this whole thing doesn't work out? What if, what if the paralytic says, uh, I'm not really into this. I didn't have plans to spend today on the roof of the house. Did he agree to go? Was he begging them? Did he have family there that said, hey, leave him alone. Leave him alone. This is the way it is. I know you mean well. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, persistence. Um, oh, this is the one that just gets me. Has anybody here ever been to Disney, Disney World or Disneyland? Anybody here ever gone? You never gone? You went. Okay. Anybody here ever been to, what, what around here would be the amusement park? Uh, Great America, uh, Five Flags, Six Flags, Seven Flags, I don't know how many flags. Or, or even if you go to the county fair, there's a rule in America that if you break it, you are scum. And the rule is this, never cut in line. Never cut in line. You know what they're doing? They're cutting in line. All these people are lined up to get to Jesus. And these guys decide, let's get a little creative here. Let's go through the roof. You see, do you see the persistence they had? That we've, we've got to get people to Jesus. Because we're fooling ourselves if we just come and if he wants it done, he'll do it on his own. We have to fulfill our responsibility. So the four of them are filled full of passion. They have this persistence. They do something that is, is totally unfair. It's unfair to cut in line. Here's another one I saw on this one. Who's going to pay for the roof when they tear it apart? Who's going to pay for this? Whose roof was it? Jesus was there. My dad taught me when I was a kid. You can have a lot of fun. And you can pull lots of stunts. And we'll probably be okay. But if you destroy property, you're going to catch hell's fury. Don't you dare destroy property. They destroyed property. They broke the rules. Wow. And what then if the whole thing fails? In their persistence, what happens if they get up on the roof and Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Not so fast, my friend. Not so fast. What if Jesus chastises them? Because they damage. What if someone gets hit by a tile that they're pulling off the roof? There were no hard hats on these people. Think about this stuff. Come on. This is real. You see, what happened was they were so passionate that we're going to see people find Jesus. And they were so persistent that they developed a plan. Let me take you to this one. They developed a plan. And their plan was simple. 
Let's put a hole in the roof. Let's put a hole in the roof. Now, I would love at this point for us just to go into small groups right now and talk about it, what it looks like to put a hole in the roof in your life. So they cut a hole in the roof. And that was their creative solution. Because they were so passionate. Worked with a pastor that wanted to touch people who lived in a mobile home community. And his church couldn't help him in any way at all. And so he decided, I'm going to have to build a relationship with these people. And so he went and he started playing horseshoes with these guys out in the mobile home park. Played horseshoes and the guys had fun. He said one time, he said, hey, let me bring some coffee. So they brought coffee and brought a donut and they're playing horseshoes. And then one day he got the courage up. This was before he was in the ministry. He got the courage up. Say, hey guys, before we play today, would you mind if I just said a prayer? We ask God to just shine upon us. And the guys are thinking, man, I want to win. Let him pray, you know. And so he prayed. And then winter came. And he said to the guys, it's been so good to be together. What would happen if we'd just meet somewhere and get together and have coffee and eat our donut together and talk? And they said, that's great. And then he said, when he got together, hey, would you mind if I would just sometimes just read a verse of scripture or two when we get together? And then I'll pray and then we'll just have fellowship. And they did it. And to make a real long story short, one day there was a church. And one day there was a man who threw that church who became a pastor of another church. All because someone said, let's put a hole in the roof. Now, it'd be so much fun. To just kind of talk about what that looked like in your life. What would that look like in your life? What might the Spirit of God be saying to you? Let, 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 let me put a hole in the roof. Let me do something that's just a little different, a little unique. You see, they had passion. They had persistence. They had a plan. And they were willing to do her the pain. Now, when I talk about the pain... If we're going to be serious about reaching people for Jesus... There's going to be a lot of pain. There's the pain of rejection. There, there's the pain of what will people think. You see, I really believe that God could take this body of people and unite you together and simply say, let's kind of take this thing. We, we have had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, where we've been able to work on our own hearts in uncharted territory. And maybe the Lord says right now what I'd like to do is to take this group of people and unite them together to reach the lost. To find a way creatively just to reach lost people. To find a way where lost people would step into this place and say, let me tell you what, I don't know about the pastor, I don't know about the music, I don't know about the ushers, I don't know about the program, but let me tell you what, there's a place when you step in, you'll be loved like you've never been loved. You'll be greeted. You'll be prayed for. What would happen if people would look and they would say, there's a group of people that are willing to put up with me. Oh my goodness. When you start working with people that are rough, it gets really rough. That man who came to church and decided to join the choir. And God hadn't done the full work in him yet. The choir goes out Christmas caroling. And as he goes out Christmas caroling, he says to everybody, hey, I got a bottle of whiskey here. It gets cold out there. Let's just have a little bit to keep us warm. He didn't know any better. 
<laughs> Somebody wants to say, you're doing what? It's going to get rough at times. You're going to hear words that might not be familiar in your language. You say, those were words before Christ. You're going to say, ooh, boy, that was a little rough. See, they're willing to endure stuff. They're willing to put up with stuff. All for one thing. And that's the payoff. Now, this is the part I love. I believe with all my heart that God has something in his meticulous providence he's planted for this church that's going to change lives. I believe that you can come together as a body of people, individually and corporately, and experience a move of the Spirit of God where people will say what they said in verse 10. We've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen anything like this. And the payoff is changed lives. It's changed lives. It's changed lives. This is, this is, this is what I live for. This is what I just do what I do for. What would happen if we would shift the focus of our body from just taking care of ourselves to impacting the world and being the hands and arms and feet of Jesus? And there was a guy that walked away and was transformed by the power of God. Now, this is where it gets very personal. Because God wants to use you and you and you and you. Because here's the way it works. I said this before. If God could speak through a donkey, there's a fair chance he could use you in the work of the kingdom. And you have a role you could play. We don't know who these people are. The four people's names are never mentioned in Scripture. We don't know who they are. They're nameless. There's not a book of the Bible they wrote. There's not a series of miracles. I think they were just four folks that simply said, we want to be a part of the team that gets people to Jesus. And they said, let's put a hole in the roof. Let's just, let's just, let's go for it. Hey, the roof may cave in. Somebody may get hit with a piece of tile. We can't afford this. What if Jesus has met us? No. So passionate that they put a hole in the roof. And God says, I'd like you to be one of the people that handles a rope. Just let somebody down. When I grew up in a town of a hundred people in southeast Iowa, there was a town bully. And let me tell you what, he was the meanest dude you've ever seen. His name was Lyle. Oh, he was mean. Lyle just as soon beat you up as look at you. Now you got to understand in the 1950s, late 50s and early 60s, they had that hair that they greased clear back. He had that long, he had so much grease in his hair, he could put it in his car and his engine would run for a month. I mean, he just greased that, slicked that hair back and Lyle was mean. Carried himself with just this this stuff. I remember him smacking my brother around a few times. For years in the church, I told our people the story of Lyle because there was a, a kid who in sixth grade, true story, I have video to prove it. My grandkids didn't believe me until I got out the home video. A kid who in sixth grade was six feet tall. His name was Joe. 
And Joe would stand up to Lyle for us. And we were small kids, and Joe would do that, but Lyle was just mean as a junkyard. He was scared to death of him. He'd just soon slap you as look at you. Now, at an anniversary for Christy and I being at Napanee for a number of years, they had a service in Indiana at our church. My brother was the MC of the service. And they did a memory thing, took us back through so many years of ministry. It was a night to remember. They blessed us in ways that are absolutely unbelievable. And I was just soaking it all up. My brother looks over to me and he says, uh, Dave, do you remember you've told these people here about Lyle? I said, oh, I've told them about Lyle a bunch of times. He said, Lyle was mean. Wasn't I said, he was the meanest dude you ever seen. I tell you, that guy was big and he had this hair greased back and he'd come over and I remember him beating up you. I remember Dennis when he beat you up. And, and I look up and out of the top row of the balcony comes this guy. And I thought to myself, that's Lyle. And I thought, oh, Jesus, I'm going to die. He's going to beat me up in front of the entire church. I was stunned. I hadn't seen this guy since I was in seventh grade. And he comes down. And I'm thinking, this is the moment of truth. Made for TV drama. And he walks over. And they give him a mic. Lyle stands up. He says, I'm not the man I used to be. He said, I want to share with you my testimony. I mean, the, I was floored. Came from the roughest family, the worst part of town. His dad died when, when he was a teenager. And they all just kind of, they weren't in the upstanding citizen group, I would say, in the town. And he starts sharing this. And I'm just like, you've got to be stinking kidding me. I'm back in Mark 2.10 saying, I can't believe what I'm witnessing. Lyle found Jesus. And he shares his testimony. He comes over and as he starts getting close to me, I'm having this flashback moment. He's going to hit me. And then he gave me a big old hug. It was a moment. In fact, it's, it's captured on video, the whole thing of Lyle doing this. But what I didn't know was the whole story. You see, in that town where my dad pastored, there was a lady who was the shyest, quietest lady you'll ever meet. Sweet as can be, but she was very shy. She actually was the janitor of our church. And one day, Anne Scarf crossed a street and went over to Lyle's daughter and said, have you ever thought about coming to VBS? And she said, what is it? She explained it, and she came. She went home at the end of VBS and said to her dad, Dad, do you know what it is to give your heart to Jesus and be born again? And it just shook him to his core. It shook him to his core. You see, the story of Lyle finding Jesus is a story of this little janitor lady who never taught a Sunday school class, never worked in kid men, had no natural gifting, who simply said, I'll hold the rope. And that rope 
changed the whole family system. Lyle's son graduated from high school, knew Jesus, knew the Lord, went to the University of Iowa, played for Kirk Ferentz, actually Hayden Fry, played for Hayden Fry, played football for Hayden Fry, shared his testimony with Hayden Fry. His son Steve ends up transformed and now pastors a church in Iowa, all because one lady just simply held a rope and said, I'm I'm, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. I've got to share this with you. Lyle, I found out his son called me. Said, Dave, you need to know that dad died. He passed away. Passed away not even a year ago. And he said, I, I just, I need to meet you someday. Because our life was transformed. You see, that janitor in that church was my aunt. Just simple lady. He said, our whole family was changed because one person held one rope. And he sent me Lyle's obituary. Listen to this. Lyle grew up in Trenton, Iowa, the third child of a family of seven children. The English name was even more closely knit when his father, Alfred, died unexpectedly at 45. Many remember Lyle. This is in the newspapers. Many remember Lyle in his younger years. He was a member of the Trenton Angels, well known as a fighter. He never backed down from a fight, and legend has it that he never lost one in his life. That is until he met his match. He met his match February 13, 1975, when the Lord Jesus Christ conquered Lyle's heart, and he committed his life to Jesus in the upstairs study of a pastor's home. And from that day on, Lyle's passions were redirected and controlled to fight for the glory of Christ and the furtherance of the kingdom of Jesus. I just read this in the Mount Pleasant paper and I just started getting blessed. I thought, I can't believe they did this. It's not over yet. The great evangelist, this is in the obituary. The great evangelist Dwight Moody said, Someday you'll read in the papers D.L. Moody of Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I'll be more alive than I am now. I will have gone up higher, that is, out of this old clay tenement, into the house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit may live forever. And then he says this. By now, you've read that Lyle English has died. Don't you believe a word of it? He is more alive than he ever has been. He was born of the flesh in 1946. Born of the spirit in 1975. And today, because of Jesus Christ alone, he lives with his Savior forever. And I believe God used one lady who simply said, I'm all in. I'm going to hold the rope. I'm going to hold the rope. I'm going to hold the rope. Sterling, friends, I believe God could do something that people would look and say, what in the world has happened? What in the world has happened? 
And it isn't going to happen because Pastor Denny preaches better and you sing better and the building's better and, and the carpet's nicer. Those things have their place. It's going to happen when God's people say, we're going to pray through, we're going to give, we're going to share. We're just going to hold the rope and we're going to keep on keeping on to see lost people find Jesus. And Sterling and Rock Falls and Dixon and the whole area is going to be known as a place where there's this group of people that simply said, we're just rope holders. And we do that because of Jesus. I want you to bow your heads together with me. Seth, I want you to come. And we're going to close this service so different. But I'm going to challenge you tonight. I'm going to challenge you tonight to hold a rope. I'm going to challenge you to hold a rope. And maybe it's someone you're praying for specifically. Maybe it's a thing that's saying, God, here I am. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to pray that God's going to allow me to have some role, some part in seeing someone come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you're going to do that. So let me tell you what we're going to do tonight. For some of you, this is going to be horribly uncomfortable. For the majority of you, you're going to say, man, Dave, I'm all in on this thing. We've got ropes here tonight. Pastor Denny and I have a big old rope here tonight. And we're going to take that rope. And if you say, man, God, would you use me like you use that little janitor lady? Just impact somebody's life. Make me sensitive. I'm going to be passionate. I'm going to be persistent. I'm willing to go through the pain because I want to see the payoff. I want to see somebody rescue. Now, you may have a specific person in your family you're going to pay for. But this rope is simply a symbol that I'm a rope holder. And I'm going to do it. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Pastor and I are up here. Seth's going to lead us. He's going to sing. You don't even need to sing. And tonight in this room, across this place, I believe there's going to be so many of you are going to say, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm going to ask you just to come and take a rope. Now what I do with my rope is it's in front of me all the time. I used to keep it on my computer screen and then I moved it closer to me to remind me God I want to see lost people find Jesus and I'm going to do everything I can and I have specific people I've got a, a relative right now who doesn't know Jesus we don't know how long he's got to live and I'm just praying God use me but I'm praying he will find Jesus this is my symbol of commitment that I'm going to hold the rope so Seth I want you right now to sing and I'm going to ask you all just to stand together with me. You can bow your heads right now. We're up here, and we're going to take this rope, and we're going to cut you off a piece. We've got enough rope for everybody and their cousin tonight because our goal in prayer is see people come and know Jesus. Anybody all in on a rope? You just come as God leads you.